We're back here at From the Back Tees Podcast, Tucker Booth, Rappers Don't Golf, Volume 2. And I've got a very special guest on the phone today. I know if you are a golf enthusiast, you've probably seen this man posting all over Twitter. He started out many years ago as a mere sales trainee in the food industry and rose all the way to vice president of sales and marketing for companies such as Cisco and Kraft. Somewhere around 2008, when we went through our financial crisis, he made a pivot in his 50s into the golf media world by way of Twitter, and now is a regular with the Hank Haney Golf Radio Show. He covers the PGA Tour for a variety of different publications, and I know you've probably seen him out there in the Twitter sphere, being followed by many of the best professional golfers and broadcasters in the business. It is my pleasure to welcome Ron Mintz on the podcast today. Ron, how are you? I'm doing great, Tucker. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited we finally made this happen. You are one of my new friends out there online. I definitely admire your presence on Twitter and all of the enthusiastic golf tweets. As a fellow golf lover, man, I know what you're going through out there. So, Ron, I guess let, let's start by going back. Tell us a little bit about your rise through the industry, meaning the, the food industry, the sales industry, before we get into your golf story. So tell us a little bit about how you got going in life and a little bit about your biography. Well, actually, it, it involves golf and business. I started playing golf when I was five years old. My dad uh, loved golf, and he put a cut-down five-iron in my hands and uh, took me in the backyard. And I never played with plastic balls. They gave me real golf balls to start with. And then, uh, you know, I played uh, as much as I could. And then when I got older, he would take me out to the local course on his way to work and drop me off in the morning. And especially in the summers, and then come back and get me a night or come back and we play nine more holes. So I grew up in golf and loved it. Um, wasn't, you know, my aspiration, I guess, like anybody, would be to join the tour. I probably gave up too early. Um, when I got out of college, I developed a, a hook, and I just couldn't seem to get out of it. And uh, had a chance to go into a, a pretty good, business and the corporate world and the institutional food distribution and I did that mainly because uh, I didn't think back in those days that you had to have people sponsor you and I don't mean equipment companies but individuals that would back you to go on tour and I had friends that had tried it and gotten their card but then after a year they'd be $150,000 in debt if they didn't get their card again so made the decision to go the business route. I've always been very good at business. I liked it. Um, and as you mentioned, I got in with two or three major companies, a lot of buyouts along the way. We were, once we were owned by a Wall Street investment firm, but I loved it. And I, I'm a common sense kind of guy. I try to keep things simple. I knew people are always going to eat. They're always going to need food. So that made my choice of the industry is pretty simple. No. Uh, you mentioned 2008. Um, I traveled all over the country. I traveled about 80,000 miles a year as, as a, in a corporate position as a VP. I've been in, I don't know how many restaurants and, uh, colleges. Uh, we worked healthcare and we did a lot of business with the military. I did a lot of business with the Pentagon during, uh, the war in Iraq and, all that happened after 9-11, and that was 
pretty interested in a lot of, you know, had to get security clearance and um, we would ship products to an unknown location. They'd give us an hour's notice where to ship it to. It was, I'd be watching the news and see we weren't going to a war and, and I'm shipping food, getting them ready for war. So that was, that was pretty interesting. But, um, yeah, I did that for 30 some years, very successful and took retirement after 32 years and my kids were out of college um i played golf but you know you can't play all the time and i got on twitter just as a fluke really didn't know what it was but i realized that everybody on there sort of had a niche and i said well there's two things i know and it's, one thing is business and the other is golf didn't think anybody want to talk about business so i started just posting golf stuff mostly quotes from uh, pros like Ben Hogan and uh, Sam Snead. And then I got in the stats, and then uh, people started asking me questions. And before I knew it, I had like 8,000 followers after a year or two. And unbeknownst to me, uh, Hank Haney was one of the guys following me, and I get a message one day asking me, me to be on his radio show on Sirius XM. And this was in 2013. Um, I said yes, thinking, I hope that he never asked me again because I thought, well, why does he want me on his show? I'm nobody. I'm just a retired guy that loves golf. I wasn't writing for anyone, um, had never done a radio show. And I said, sure. And it went a few months, almost a year, and he asked me again. And I said the same thing. And this time he wrote right back and said, well, how about tomorrow? <laughs> And so I couldn't put him off anymore, and uh, I called my son, and he's my best friend, too. And I said, what, what should I do? He said, Daddy, you know everything about golf. He said, you know more than anybody I know. And I said, well, that's what Hank said. And I said, well, how would he introduce me? I said, I don't know. And um, so I told him I'd do it, and I was scheduled for a 12-minute segment on a Saturday morning. I think it was November 20th of 2014. And I knew, I'd listened to Hank a lot, and I didn't know what he was going to ask me. I had no clue. Um, and, but I stayed up all night doing research just in case. I don't know what told me that he might ask me who I thought the, ma the Masters winner would be six months later. Normally you don't, you don't ask somebody that type of question, but I got ready just in case. And I also had done research on the U.S. Open uh, two months after the Masters. So I go on there, and once we started talking, I, I just forgot I was on the radio. It was just me and Hank, and he was laughing. I was telling him stories that I knew about Sam Steed because I live in Greensboro, and, of course, Sam won the what's now called the Wyndham Championship. Back then, it was the Greater Greensboro Open, and he won that tournament eight times. And uh, so I knew a lot of Sam Steed stories. Uh, just from reading history books about golf. I love the history of golf. I collect golf memorabilia. Um, used to be a member of the World Golf Collector Society, along with Ben Crenshaw and some people like that. But uh, after 12 minutes, he said, can you stay on for another segment? And I said, sure. And then before I knew it, I'd been on the, the entire hour. I don't know what happened to the other guests, but uh, I was on there for the whole show, and that was the beginning of my media career, I guess. Other people heard it. Um, I 
started getting calls to be on other radio shows. I have never, ever asked a radio station to have me on a show. Matter of fact, most of them I've been on, I've never even heard of before, all over the country and four different countries. Um, so it's just been word of mouth, I guess, on Twitter. And after about, what, six years now, I do about 150 a year. I did 30 the week of the Masters. Now, you mentioned Hank earlier. I, I quit being a regular on Hank's show back in, uh, I guess, it's last year, 2018, when I was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. And so the last year and a half, I've slowed down quite a bit. And I just couldn't make a commitment to Hank, but he's been a great supporter of mine, and we're still great friends. And, you know, I wouldn't be talking today if it wasn't for Hank Haney. And uh, he took a guy that was just a fan and uh, sort of gave me a second career. And it couldn't have been anything I love more than golf, so I'll always be indebted to Hank. But I'm not on there as a regular guest anymore. I just wanted to correct you on that. But... Um, uh, do listen to him, and I'll call it occasionally. But I mainly just do shows all over the, the country, and I'm pretty much in demand during the majors. So this has been a busy week with PGA coming up. Well, I know you mentioned that you'd had your issues this last year or so with cancer, and we'll get back to that. But I think we should stick with Hank for a minute since you've obviously made it clear what an impact he's had on your life. I'm a huge lover of Hank. I, I've admired him long since he worked with Tiger and, you know, in the post Tiger era and whatnot. I guess give us a little bit more insight into Hank Haney. I mean, I have my own thoughts about him, but you said that he took basically a fan and turned him into, you know, a golf analyst that's in demand. Is Haney, is Haney truly as big of a Samaritan as I kind of make him out to be in the golf world? Is he truly the golf Samaritan? Or give us just a little bit more insight into who Hank Haney is as a man since you've known him for you know so well for the last few years. I think he's probably the hardest working man. I know he's, he does so much. Um, I don't even know how he has time to do the radio show. But he's not coaching players anymore like he used to. He coached over 200 tour players during his career it wasn't just Tiger matter of fact the first tour player he coached that sort of put him on the map was Mark O'Mara and Hank was working at Pinehurst Country Club here in North Carolina as an assistant pro or or maybe an instructor and Mark O'Mara was there one day I'm not sure what he was doing in North Carolina because he lived in Florida but he was fixing to lose his tour card and he was out there beating balls and just Hank says he was he could tell he he wasn't making any progress, and Hank walked up there to pick up the basket. And I think the story Hank told me was Mark looked at him and said, can you help me? He says, I'm getting ready to lose my car. And he didn't know who Hank was, and I don't know if Hank knew who he was. But he helped him that day, and they struck up a relationship that still lasts till today. And they're very close friends. So Mark became very close friends with Tiger. And I think that's how... Tiger, when he left Butch Harmon, ended up with Hank. Uh, Mark O'Mara said, look, you, you need to go with Hank Haney. He's helped a lot of guys here on tour. And so he, Tiger won six majors under Hank and won uh, out of every three tournaments he played in under Hank's coach, and he won at least one of them, one out of three. So, you know, Hank's got an incredible record with Tiger and other pros as well, but he's just a hard worker, and he has a lot of endorsements. He does a lot of 
uh, exhibitions for corporations like Omega, Charles Schwab, and, and different companies. And then he's come out with a new product, a pain relief cream that a friend of his invented. And, and uh, he's selling that like crazy. He's just, uh, he's, he's nonstop. And, uh, but you know, he did help me. I would, I remember one, one show I was on, he asked me who I liked that week. That, that was, when I was a regular, I was on there every Wednesday. And I would review the tournament coming up that week. And then I would make picks and I'd maybe pick three and then maybe a, a sleeper pick. But then I give him my main pick. He would say, well, why? And I remember one week I picked Adam Scott and I didn't really have my notes in front of me normally. And this is, I guess I'm a perfectionist. And for every 15 minute radio show I did with Hank, I would do at least four hours of research. Because I didn't know what he was going to ask me. He never once told me what we would talk about, except I knew I had to make these predictions. And I said, Adam Scott, that time, and he, and he listened, and we hung up. We got off the air. I got a message from him. He said, next time you pick somebody, you better be able to back it up and tell me why you picked them. I mean, he really gave me a hard time. <laughs> and I did, But I didn't take it as the criticism he was trying to make me better and he was he was right i mean anybody can get on there and say well hey i, I think adam scott's gonna win well why do you think he's gonna win so i remembered that and it's made me be more prepared honestly i don't think i've ever been on a radio show when somebody asked me something i could not answer and i owe that to hank because he instilled in that to me uh, to be prepared and um, if you say something, back it up. Well, that's impressive when you're talking about four hours of prep. That's amazing. Well, I uh, I, I consider Bradnell Sham, Chambly a friend, even though I've never met him in person. Well, I've, I've met him, but he probably don't remember me. But uh, he started following me on Twitter, and I followed him. And we'll chat occasionally. And I saw a picture he took of his desk at home that was full of these yellow legal pads. Well, that's the same way I do mine. I, I mean, I, I love computers. I'm very technical or computer savvy, but I still like to write down my notes. And so he had all these legal pads. I said, how many of those do you go through a month? And he told me about 30. I said, well, I'm right behind you. I'm going through about 20. And he, he basically does sort of like I do. I mean, just does all this research. Now, he takes it to a new level. Every time I watch him on TV, I hear him mention a stat that blows my mind. And I think guys like us, we try to give the, the listeners things that they're not going to get anywhere else. I mean, I give, I can look up and see who won last year, but do you know how many birdies they made? Or do you know how many strokes game putting? And and just take it to a whole new level to be a, a real analyst because it's not always just stats. There's other things you look at. So he's been an inspiration. But uh, one quick story about Hank that um, sort of put me on the map. That day, I didn't tell you, when I was on there, the first time I was on there, he asked me, now this is six months before the Masters in 2015, <laughs> he asked me to predict the Masters winner. And normally I would have said, well, are you crazy? But I had actually done my homework 
uh, even though it was six months away, in case he asked me about the majors. And I had, uh, without a doubt, picked Jordan Speed. Not because he was playing so well, but because I knew some inside information. I knew Ben Crenshaw had uh, tutored him on all the idiosyncrasies of Augusta National, which you have to know to win there. And any pro will tell you, or at least Ben Crenshaw will, you've got to play the Masters at least five times to even be considered a contender. It's not a course you can just go out and hit good shots. You've got to know where to hit them. And there's places that it looks like it's going to break right and it's going to break left every single time. And Ben taught Jordan all that. So that's why I picked Jordan to win the Masters. Well, then Hank says, well, what about the U.S. Open? I don't think Hank, no, Hank didn't even know where it was going to be played. <laughs> but I did. And I said, uh, well, you know, they're playing it up in the northwest at Chambers Bay. He said, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, um, I knew all about it because I had met on Twitter a gentleman named Ron Reed, who was with USJ for 35 years. And this gentleman only had about 100 followers. He wasn't verified, you know, a little blue check out there. But I knew he knew knew golf, but he didn't have on his profile how famous he was. But he was like the official starter for the U.S. Open for 30-some years and very well respected, lived at Pebble Beach, uh, He'll post pictures every once in a while of him and Clint Eastwood walking around together. And he's got a book coming out this next month. And he had talked to me about writing it with him. And I said, look, Ron, I'm, I, I fake it as a sports writer, but I'm not an author, you know. And uh, But he's written a book. I can't wait to read it. Well, he told me the whole story about Chambers Bay because he was the USJ official that convinced USJ they needed to have a U.S. Open in the northwestern part of the United States that never had a major championship there. And they found this land. There used to be a sand pit. And, of course, old sand pits make great golf courses. That's why Pinehurst is so beloved. But Chambers Bay was only about six or seven years old. Normally, you don't want to have an open or a major championship on course, so it's got a lot of age on it, and it can build some character. But they went ahead and had it. And I did some research before I even knew I was going to be on Hank's show that there was only one player on the PGA Tour that ever played this golf course. And he played it as a junior player in the U.S. Junior Amateur, and that was Jordan Speaks. And that week, his caddy was a part-time caddy, part-time school teacher named Michael Greller. And Jordan won that tournament. And I had remembered that so I'm thinking, he's the only player that's ever seen this course, even though he's older now. Um, and I looked at all the stats, and I told Hank, Jordan Smith, and Hank just about came out of his chair, and he said, you're crazy. He said, so Jordan Smith's going to win two majors in a row? And I said, yeah, Hank. And when I told him why, he said, well, that's a great point. I never thought about that. So I had my I had my research, and... And he did. I, I, I predicted it in November of 2014. He won the Masters in April 2015 and the U.S. Open, I guess, in June. And so he forgot I did this. And I was on his show all the time then. So I said, Hank, you got to give me credit today. I said, I got it right. He said, what? I said, I told you Jordan was going to win the Masters in the Open. So on the show that day, he said, well, here's the man that did it. He called it. 
picked eight months ago and said Jordan was going to win the first two majors. And so when you do it on national radio, it, it's a lot more credible than just saying, well, yeah, I picked him. So that made a lot of uh, believers out of me. And Ron, I imagine you were probably the only person that predicted Jordan Spieth to win two majors in a row that year. You've got to be one of the only that did it on national radio, for sure, on television. I, I don't remember any other analyst predicting he would win those two in a row. I mean, gosh, that's got to be some prophetic vision, man. I didn't have anything to lose. Hank <laughs> wanted me to come on, and I went home and... Um... But, you know, it wasn't a hunch. I, I don't gamble. And I, that's another thing I get asked every week to my best fans, I guess, or, or fantasy players, you know, who am I picking? And then I even have casinos, and I didn't know it at first. They would tell me they were bookmakers, but they would message me and say, who do you like this week? And finally one guy, who I'm not going to name, but he's, uh, he's one of the top bookmakers, especially in golf in Vegas. And he called me one year wanting me to help him come up with some prop bets for the Ryder Cup because he didn't know the rules. And he said, can they tie? And I said, yeah, they can tie. But I don't know how you're going to make a bet out of that, a comp bet. I mean, I guess you could. Again, I'm not a gambler. But uh, I said, if they tie, and so let's say the U.S. won it last year, and they tie, then we get to keep the trophy. And so you've got to win it to get it back. And so... He calls me quite often just to get help and stuff like that. And uh, I just never gamble because I like picking. But if I did it for money, I wouldn't I wouldn't be as good at it because I pick with my, my head, not my heart. If I was gambling, I'd probably pick with my heart <laughs> or my wallet. So I'm a better predictor, I think, the fact that I don't have any money on it. My dad told me when I was young, and people wanted to play me. I was a very good golfer when I was young. My dad actually told me he made enough money hustling me to put me through college. And I didn't know I was playing for money. I never knew it until I was older. But he said, if you gamble, just don't ever bet more than you can afford to lose. And I've never felt I could afford to lose anything, so that's why I don't gamble. But uh, I do enjoy picking and... and uh, you know, I'll give people some, some I think, or look, look good, but I, they ask for a sure thing, and I say there is no sure thing in golf. I just can't give you that. Well, I feel the same way, and I know you, you, you're a proud Christian, and you, you put that out on your Twitter page, and I've been raised in Christianity myself, and I feel like, you know, whether it was my parents saying that gambling wasn't a good idea because of that or whatnot, I always feel like the minute I gamble on something, I jinx it. I always feel like I'm with you. I bet better with my head than my heart. But I feel like as soon as my heart gets involved with putting that money down, somehow it jinxes my pick. I don't know how it works. I put a curse on it every time. But I can I can feel you on picking and enjoying that. Yeah, this past uh, year, uh, probably the other pick I made that I, was, I think I was the only one. Um, for whatever reason, I had been following... Uh, Francesco Molinari pretty close. I've always felt like he was such an underachiever. He was a great player, but he, he couldn't close. And so he won a couple events in Europe. They didn't make a lot of news over here, and then he won a pretty big term. It might have been Dubai. And so when he came to the United States and played a couple tournaments, he did well. 
And so I looked on uh, my friend's website that had golf odds, and I saw where they had him at 50 to 1, which is probably like 75th out of the field. Everybody had better odds than he did at the Open Championship. Not that that mattered, but I just was curious what he thought. And um, so I did more research, and I got on Twitter two weeks before the Open and predicted he was going to win the Open Championship, and he did. And nobody else picked him. I mean, I didn't see anybody. I don't think anybody else saw it coming. But, again, that's just what I do for a hobby. I just research people. I don't look at stats. I mean, I do look at stats, but I also look at their personal life, if they've just gotten married or if they just had a divorce, how their health is, how they've done on a certain course. Uh, a quick story there for a while, Rory had a reputation for playing terrible every Friday. He played great on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, but he would tank on Friday. So I knew that. I don't know how many other people knew it. If I was a better, I could have went on and I didn't even know this till I started covering golf that you can bet on individual matches. Like they may put Rory up against Francesco on Friday and have Rory at minus one hundred twenty dollars and have Francesco at plus one hundred twenty. And I could have probably picked whoever Rory played every Friday for ten weeks and made a, a bunch of money. But I, you know, I don't gamble. But that's just something I picked up on. Well, gamblers listening to this podcast, you might want to follow along on Ron Mintz's Twitter page. I have a feeling you might be uh, looking at some better money coming back in. You know, I think Molinari was a a pick we could have seen if we were reading the wind before that open. I mean, he won it quick in the month before, and that was his first PGA Tour win. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that, that could have been the sign, but no one wanted to believe it. I think everybody still was trying to will Tiger to that major victory at the Open, especially when it was, you know, coming down the stretch with him and Francesco on the last day. But, you know, I, I agree. I think we could have seen this one coming, but you obviously did. So I guess, Ron, my next question for you is kind of in the same vein. Who are your favorite follows on Twitter on the PGA, and who are your favorite follows on Twitter for PGA uh, correspondents and analysts, and, and and why? Why do you like you know why do you like these people so much? Who do, who do I follow the most? You mean? Uh, yeah. Who do you follow the most, and then also, you know, who are your favorites, and why are they your favorites? Well, I tell you, the media has changed just in the few years I've been at it. When I first started. Um, first writing job I had that paid anything, I mean, wasn't much, was the Sporting News. And they didn't really cover golf. I don't know if you know the history of the Sporting News, but it's probably the oldest sports newspaper in the world. And it used to be known as the Baseball Bible. And people followed baseball. That's what they were known for. But then when the Internet came along, the uh, paper part of it went away, just like the ESPN magazines going away although it'll still be online. And they expanded their coverage to where they cover everything, even wrestling. I mean, the WWE, and they cover fantasy. And uh, they called me one day. They didn't want me to be a writer doing hard news. They wanted me to, to do analysis. And so I told them I'd never written before, but because I was in the corporate world, I had a secretary, and I abbreviated everything, so she did all that. But... You know, I slowly learned, and um, uh, that's my taste. first taste of the media. So when I go to tournaments, 
back six years ago, there might be 70 to 100 media people there. And now when you go to a tournament, unless it's a major, there might be 30 there. It's just changed so much because newspapers are going out of business. And a lot of newspapers used to have full-time golf reporters, and now they don't. And so they're using Doug Ferguson with the Associated Press. Um, if you go to a local paper, unless the tournament's being held in that town that week. I went to a quick story. I was at a, a tournament. And Luke Donald, you know, n- former number one in the world, three years earlier, had, had a good round that day. And they come in the media center and say, Luke Donald's now in the interview room. Does anybody like to go in there? Well, normally we all run trying to get a good seat. I got up and went in there. I was the only one that went in there. Wow. And I felt sorry for the guy. I mean, he's former number one player in the world. And I'm the only reporter that shows up to ask him any questions. And he couldn't have been more gracious. And I had 30 minutes alone with him. It was awesome. But if it had been Tiger, you know, uh, it's standing room only. So it's changed so much. But I love uh, Alan Shipman with, uh, I think he's with Golf now, Golf.com. He was with Golf Week. He's uh, one of the best writers, not only to cover the hard news, but behind-the-scenes stories. Also writes for Sports Illustrated. He's one of my favorites. Uh, Alex Myers with Golf Digest. Um, Ron Green Jr. with the Global Golf Post. Uh, Ron, a veteran, his dad covered golf before it. Uh, Ron started and uh, worked for the Shaw Observer, and they quit covering golf with their own reps, so he went to work for this new site. Single week, he's there. And we do a lot of radio shows together. I'll be on... I mean, I don't talk to him, but I'll be on the same radio show as he is. And um, so he's a follower. But on TV, I follow Brandle. Um, I can't, you know, I just can't pick. There's, a, there's probably 25 I follow closely. But what I do, and I would suggest this for fans, is go on Twitter and make a list. Um, last time I looked, I was on like 100 people's list of, of the media people to follow. But if you can, you can make lists and say these are. This is golf media, and so you don't have to follow each one of those people. You can just go look at the list, and everything they post will be on there. So if you want to find out something in the media, you've got a, a place to go look, or or have a PJ Tour player list like I have. Uh, that's what I use more than anything. So I may follow three hundred people on three different lists. What's interesting, you mentioned Shipnuck because I have been referring to a piece he recently wrote for another piece that I've been doing a deep dive on, and i got to say he is surely one of my favorite golf writers that there is, so I agree with you there. Let's talk PGA Tour players. I know you have relationships with some of these guys through Twitter and through the tournaments. Let's just do a list of your favorite PGA Tour players that you like to follow, cover, or know personally, and why. the ones who follow me back mostly. <laughs> I bet. Aren't a lot. Uh, they, they don't... Um, most of the guys are getting away from social media, although people like Bubba, you know, he loves it. Uh, but Roy McIlroy, I follow him, and, and Graham McDowell, and both of them followed me from early on. I don't know why. But they've always been good to me. And, and veterans like Gary Player... Um, 
I wrote him one day because I noticed he followed me and asked him a question, and he answered right back. And we will we'll talk at least once a month. I mean, it's just to me, it's amazing that you know here's a golf fan that you know I, I fell in this media thing, and I can talk to Gary Player because I grew up idolizing him and Arnie and Jack. Um, there's there's really so many of them that are pretty. You know, very cordial and caddies as well. Uh, I like talking to caddies as much as the pros. Actually, you'll find out more from them than you will the players. Any favorite caddies? You got any got any names? I mean, I know you mentioned Greller. Is he a, is he a good follow? Is he somebody that'll talk to you? I mean, who are some of your favorite caddies? Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, Kip Henley. Um, I've known Kip. Well, I've not known him personally. Kip won the first Big Break on the Golf Channel. I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but oh, I love Big Break. I'm a fan, definitely, definitely. Well, Kip won the first one, and uh, he was about thirty pounds lighter back then and younger. And uh, but he he was a legend in Tennessee. He won as a PJ Pro. He won TJ, a Tennessee Championship and. I don't know how many times he tried on tour, but he won a start. He was either on the web.com tour or one of the PGA Tour events for winning big break. I don't think he went too well because the night before he was to tee off, he got gout in his elbow, and, and there used to be a chat room on the Golf Channel, and you could go on there and chat with other golfers. Well, Kip was on there, and it was before Twitter became so big, and he said, I've got gout. Anybody have any home remedies? Well, I did because I'd had it one time. I said, you know, you go buy some black cherry juice. And he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, it'll knock it right out. Well, he did. And years later, when Twitter came along, I said, Kip, you remember the black cherry juice guy? He said, yeah. I said, well, that's me. So we've, we've gotten to be buddies online. And uh, he's funny as I'll get out. He's, he's had a lot of success. He came from Brian Gay for about 12 years. So he got injured in VJ Singh. And now he's with Austin Cook who's already won once on tour is going through a little slump right now but but Kip's the real deal I mean he is uh, he's just a great guy and when I was in sports sporting news I got to interview the winning caddy each week the association of professional tour caddies arranged for on every Monday uh, I would get a call from the caddy that won that week and interview them the best interview I ever had was with a gentleman named G.W. Cable, and uh, his nickname is Juice, and he was uh, caddying for Chris Kirk that week, and I forget what tournament it was, and Chris had about four different caddies. He liked to move them around. He'd let you caddy two weeks, and he said, well, I'm going to use my other guy for a couple of weeks, and so GW tapped me caddy from that week and had the win, so I interviewed him, and he was... Probably the best interview I've ever done. This guy was incredible. He was known on tour that he would, he would, you could dare him to do anything and he would do it for money. So they were taking a trip to the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup on the charter jet. And some of the guys on there were dipping or chewing tobacco. And they all poured it in a big cup. And they said, Juice, come over here a minute. And they all got money together and they said, how much would it take to get you to drink this cup of tobacco? Oh, man. <laughs> this is a true story. And he said, $1,000. They said, okay. And so they got $1,000 together. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I turned that thing up and drank every drop of it. I said, are you? <laughs> he, said, 
said, I'll do anything for money. And he, uh, he's just, he was a delight. I mean, we're still friends. He just had a baby. And so that's the thing I love about golf. Once you get to know these guys, um, you stay in touch with them. And he told me another story. He lived uh, in Florida. He was Steve Marino's caddy when Steve was playing well. And there was another pro there, and they were all sitting out and having a few beers one night, and there was a canal behind Steve's house. But it had alligators in it. And they bet Juice or GW that he wouldn't swim from one side to the other. And I don't know how much they paid him. And next thing they knew, he was in the water. He was swimming, and he got to the other side before they could in a car. So he would do anything for for, for money. And uh, he's sort of a legend on the tour. He's he's one of my favorites. Man, I, I would have believed so. I'd, I'd probably drink a whole thing full of chew tobacco spit for $1,000. But I don't know if I'd swim through alligator-infested waters. Wow. All right, so I guess we'll move on. I know you were down at Wells Fargo, you said, just for a day. So I guess maybe your impressions of the Wells Fargo Championship and Max Homa's first win, and then we'll move on and talk about Byron Nelson this week. But tell us a little bit about your experience down there at Wells Fargo. I think, it, it's to me, it's, it's the best tournament I've seen this year other than the Masters. Uh, it was so competitive. And although Max won by three strokes, you know, obviously, if you watched it, it was much closer than that. Um, but Max hanging in there, I mean, he he had, you know, been through a – he made, missed a lot of cuts this year. And for him to win was truly a, a dream come true for him, gave him job security. And it was just uh, – it was a great tournament. You know, the first PGA Tour event I ever went to when I was 16 years old was at Quail Hollow. And it was Kemper Open back in the 70s, I guess, or 80s. And back then the commissioner of the PGA Tour was Dean Beeman. And for some reason he let Kemper Open, which was a sponsor, talk him into moving it to Washington, D.C. So we lost that tournament here in North Carolina. And I, I hated it because the first time I ever saw Arnold Palmer was there, Jack Nicklaus, Gary Player. So I love Quill Holla and... It's come so far, you know, hosted the PGA, and it's going to have the President's Cup, I believe, in 21. And uh, Johnny Harris is a mover and shaker. He's a, he's a member of Augusta National and Pebble Beach and all these places. He has a lot of clout with the PGA Tour, so he always puts on a great tournament down there. But I, I loved Max winning that. Joel Damon... I loved his attitude. He finished second, but he said, you know, this gives me so much confidence. And then, of course, Justin Rose came along there at the end, just couldn't do it. Um, and McElroy was the biggest surprise. I thought, I just figured he owns that place. I mean, he's got every record at the Wells Fargo, every course record, but he just, he didn't have his putter working. So, uh, bad for him, but good for Max. Yeah, I, I feel like Rory's had such an up-and-down kind of year this year. It seems like he got close but no cigar, and then he finally broke through with the players, and now it seems like he's kind of in a holding pattern again. But we'll see. He seems to buck up for the majors, and I agree. I've been pulling for Max for quite a few years here. My son's name is Max, so any Max is a good Max in my book. But we were very thrilled to see him break through. So I guess we'll move on to Byron Nelson. Now, you had mentioned Spieth and how you had been a prophet of Spieth from back in the day. My guys at front 
from the back tees had a little chat room going on before this week going, all right, who you got for Byron Nelson? And I put out the name Spieth, and they all laughed at me. They laughed at me. Ron, he seemed to do pretty well on day one. Am I a complete idiot for picking Jordan Spieth to win the Byron Nelson this week? Um, I would say you're an idiot, but I wouldn't have picked him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and look, I'm a guy that I was embarrassed. Like I've told you, I went on Hank's show every week and had to pick, and I got to where I was picking him every week. And Hank said, you got to pick somebody else. But he was just, on paper, he looked like he, was, he could win every week. So I just call him as I see him, but he's, it's not his swing, it's his confidence. And I saw him miss a three-footer yesterday. It just, you know, when you, when you beat the ball to the hole, you've lost confidence when you're putting. And, and that's that's what it is with him. And his, his caddy's told, said the same thing. He said, Jordan, you're overthinking every shot. I mean, to watch him in the fairways, he's one of the slowest players on tour now. He can't make a decision even on the club. And then... He hits it and he shrugs his shoulders right away and holds his head down like he's pouting. And he's not, but that's just like that body language is another thing I look at. And you can just tell it. He has no confidence in his golf game right now. And he'll say he's coming around, but I haven't seen it yet. He'll be back. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but um, I don't see him winning this week, none. So who do you got? I mean, I know there are plenty of, of attractive picks this week, and, of course, we're rounding out the last couple tourneys before the PGA Championship. But who do you got going into the PGA Championship as far as winning at Byron Nelson? Is it going to be a new guy like Homa, or is it going to be one of these older veterans? It seems to be you know week to week we get somebody we've never heard of, and then we get somebody that we've known that's kind of been needing a little bit of extra mojo. Who do you got? Well, I didn't have this guy, but as we speak right now, he just finished the second round, uh, sung – Kang, K-A-N-G, he shot 61 today, and he shot 65 yesterday. He's 16 under as a four-shot lead. Um, and I, I was actually picking Brooks Kepka. I felt like he would, as much rest as he's had, he would uh, play well this weekend. He shot a 65 yesterday, and he was just on the second hole, so he could catch the guy. But uh, that's who I, w- I was going to pick was Brooks. That makes sense, and, and I, I think it's interesting, Brooks, talking about go, going into PGA, wanting to play the week before to get the reps. That's probably not always the uh, the thinking by a lot of these guys, but Brooks seems to want to get the reps and kind of get the pressure going before he goes in. Yeah, he. Uh, I put a quote on Twitter last night that I thought was interesting where he said that he likes to play the week before major because if he stayed home, he, wouldn't, he probably wouldn't even practice or hit balls. So this makes him go out and play which I thought was unusual because I always had the opinion he was, I mean, a workaholic, him and dust and lifting weights and practicing. But uh, since he's had the three majors, he seemed to have backed off on some of that. Well, okay, I guess we've already kind of alluded to the PGA Championship, and now we can finally talk about the unbelievable comeback of Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Tiger's taking a month off. He's taking the long view of just gearing up for the major and going straight to PGA, and he's been hanging out there at Beth Page for over a week, and reports come out, and he's playing practice rounds with Phil, and he's got his yacht docked in the harbor, and obviously he is camping out looking to add another major to this season after so many years with no majors. Ron, what are your impressions of Tiger? Is he now the king again? Has he just taken the throne back in one fell swoop? or What's going on with Tiger? 
Well, you know, I, I, I've been up and down him. Uh, a year ago, I would have told you, and I was asked, every radio show I do, that's, this question is always asked, you know, what about Tiger? And I finally came to the conclusion, I would say, no, he, he may win another tournament, but he'll never win another major. Well, he proved me wrong at, at Augusta. I think the reason he won Augusta is he outsmarted everyone. He knows the course better. He played the smartest golf. I mean, when you had over four players that hit the ball in the water on number 12, including Kepka and, and I forget who else. I mean, it seems like it's been a long time ago, but, you know, that, that was just mental mistakes. And Tiger didn't make any mental mistakes. I mean, he really was focused, laser-focused. And I, I think that's what won that tournament for him. I don't know that... You can win at Beth Page just by you know knowing the course. It doesn't have as many secrets about it as Augusta National, but he does have a good record there. But you know we're looking this record of Tigers is from years ago. Um, he won two legs of the Grand Slam in 2002, and it just so happened to be the Masters. And then he won the U.S. Open right after that, and guess where it was played? Yep. H. Black. So, history could repeat itself. I mean, he's done it before. He tied for sixth in 2009 there at the U.S. Open. And in 2002, when he won there, he was the only player to finish under par. Uh, and three under, and he had bogeyed or double bogeyed the last hole. But uh, he had a three-shot lead, and, and nobody else broke par but Tiger. So could it happen this week? Sure. I mean, it's a different swing, and uh, but I, I like the way he's resting. I think he's doing. He's he's totally, totally concentrated on the majors now, and I think you're going to see that with Brooks Koepka, more with DJ, and with Rory. I think they're all going to do that, especially with the new schedule. You almost have to. I mean, this new schedule is great. I can't remember the Masters just finishing now. We got another major coming up next week. I mean, it's so exciting, but. It's causing a lot of problems for the players because they're having to skip tournaments they normally would play in. Yeah, no kidding. And we were—I was going to get to that question too about the schedule change. But one follow-up because Tiger is obviously Tiger, and we got to talk about it. In my opinion, Ron, it seems like in the vacuum that was created from the time that he went through his injuries and personal struggles and fallen off of being number one and plummeting all the way down the ranks that no one has truly stepped up and taken the mantle of King of Golf away from him. It seemed like Rory was going to do it for a little while, and then he fell off the pace. And then Spieth kind of came in and looked like the Wunderkind, and then he fell off the pace. And then Brooks Kepka came in, and we all thought this guy could take the mantle, and he never quite did. Is Tiger the king again? I mean, I ask it again. Is he the king again, or is he just kind of a placeholder for the next king that will be coming soon? Well... I think, like we said earlier, the, to me the best golfer overall right now is Roy McIlroy. He has all the tools, the perfect game, and when his game is on, I don't think he might can beat him. DJ has it. I, I don't know. He is, you know, he had that good run before the Masters last year when he got hurt, and he hadn't done quite the same. But, but he's he keeps winning tournaments. Um, Brooks, if you look at his majors, though, I mean, he's won three, but he's uh, he won the 2017 U.S. Open, 2018, 2018 PGA. 
and he finished second at the Masters this year. I mean, we're forgetting that. that, that that's the first time he played in weeks. Then in the PGA in 2016, he was fourth. Uh, the U.S. Open in 2017, he finished sixth. 2017 PGA 13th. So he's always in the top 10 or top 20 at every major. So I think he could possibly be the next king. Uh, right now, I would pick him over Roy or DJ. I would agree with you there. So I guess we got to ask it. Who do you got for this week at Byron Nelson? You picking Brooks still? And then who do you got next week at PGA? Oh, I've got Brooks at the PGA, no doubt about it. That, that's, that was a no-brainer. Um, I, uh, I wondered how he would play this week taking time off, but he's he's the kind of player that can do that. Um, I've, I've seen interviews with him, and he's talked about he's learned that he's not a ranger at anymore. One of the best quotes I've heard all year was from him. He said, fairways are overrated. And he said, I would rather hit it 320 yards in the woods and have a wedge out than being the fairway with a six iron hitting into the green. And that's the way golf has gone. Now, you're not going to be able to do that at Beth Page Black because they've got that gnarly rough, and uh, the greens aren't that tough to putt, but you've got to get to the greens. And they're real small. It's a par 70 course. They're just two par fives on there, although it's still 7,400 yards long. Eight acres of bunkers. So there's there's trouble everywhere, and you've got to you've got to hit straight. But when when Brooks is on, he makes that driver just sing like a you know he hits exactly where he wants every time. Well, you know, I play the the Tiger Woods on the Wii game still, the 2012 Masters edition, and my son and I we play all these courses before they they play them each week. I can't even beat Beth Page on the Wii, Ron, so I know how hard this course must be. I mean, it's just impossible. So basically, you've got to have the length of Brooks because you have to overpower these brutally long holes. And obviously, you've got to have the accuracy and the putting. You just have to you know, putt decent, and you can probably win this. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I think so. You've got to keep it in the fairway. And we, and we say that every week, but this is a course that, uh, you know, if you look at the history of it, uh, you're not going to see anybody at 10 or 12 under par. It's just not going to happen. Now, Phil Mickelson, you never know which Phil's going to show up, but he's twice a runner-up in the U.S. Open at Beth Page to Tiger in 2002 and the Lucas Glover in 2009. So he's played. He's got a good history at Beth Page, and he's up there now. Him and Tiger have been there all week. Uh, I think they played together yesterday. So he loves Beth Page, and if he has one of those great weeks with a putter, you know he could be the guy. He's still got the distance, and he's got all the shots. Bunker shots. I mean, he can hit it out of anything, so I wouldn't rule Phil out. So he's obviously a dark horse sleeper. You got any other sleeper picks that you want to throw out there for PGA that people not, might not see coming, but you can see coming because of your analysis? I like Molinari because he hits it straight. Uh, I didn't mention before, but the, the biggest reason his game has improved is he, he hired a uh, psychological coach or motivational coach and changed the way he looks at shots instead of thinking, okay, one bad shot, I'm out of it. Sort of what I learned maybe too late in life was, was Ben Hogan's 
quote, the most important shot's the next one. And that's the way he's playing. And he he says it's done more for his game than anything he could have done with a swing. It's, it's all mental. And uh, he goes out there thinking he can win every tournament. And he hits it straight. So I, I like Molinari this week as well. Well, these are all good picks. Ron, before we get out of here, I definitely want to ask you a little bit about being a survivor. And you were telling me off air before we started this interview that it's been over a year since you've gone through a lot of the cancer treatments that you've gone through and that it seems like it's in remission and that you're on the path to recovery. I guess for our listeners, especially those that have family or friends that have been touched by this this issue, tell us a little bit about what it's taken to kind of make the comeback for you from being diagnosed to where you're standing now, feeling like you're in the recovery period? Well, yeah, I, I'm officially cancer-free. Uh, I had uh, stage 3 colorectal cancer. I had never been in a hospital in my life and uh, felt great. But a, a few years ago, I started having some digestive problems, went to doctors, and they told me I had uh, bleeding hemorrhoids. Uh, internal hemorrhoids and so I believed them but it kept getting worse and finally uh doctor sent me for colonoscopy and they found it and so I had to have uh, 30 rounds of chemo, 30 rounds of radiation to try to shrink a, a baseball sized tumor in my colon and unfortunately it didn't touch it, it didn't shrink it at all so they were going to do surgery anyway but uh, it turned into a 9 hour surgery with uh, the help of a robotic uh, tool they use. And, um, you know, I woke up and had no pain. It was almost a miracle. And they thought maybe it had spread. They weren't sure. They removed 21 lymph nodes, and they were all benign. They removed four polyps in addition to the the tumor, and they were benign. So uh, I didn't even have to have follow-up chemo. Uh, I've had a few complications uh, from things that happened during surgery involving my bladder and we'll get on all that, but, uh, you know, we're, we're getting all that fixed. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it was a tough year. All I did was go to doctors. It seemed like every day I was going somewhere and it's, I was pretty positive anyway, but it really changed the way I look at life. I mean, I just live day by day. The great thing about Twitter, um, People talk about social media, but, and I think most of my followers, uh, or 90% of them are golfers, and the ones I follow are golfers. And a friend of mine who's a lawyer, I didn't want it to get out. I just didn't want to be, I can't explain it, but when you get cancer, a lot of people just don't want to tell anybody. And I just wasn't ready to address it publicly, but he finally said, look, you need all the prayers you can get. So he, he put a post on there one day that I had cancer, and the outpouring of support was just unbelievable. And I mean, I'm talking uh, broadcasters, uh, Peter Costas, you know, gives me his home phone number and tells me to call him 24 hours a day because he had colon cancer at one time. And with CBS, he's been a big help. And Ian Baker Finch and, of course, Hank and and my buddy Chad, who's the lawyer and and. If, I don't, if I'm not on there for a day or two, I'll get 100 messages saying, are you okay? You know, because they think I've maybe gone back to the hospital or something. So if any of you guys are listening, I wish I could list all of them. But uh, thank you so much for the support. I mean, it really means a lot. I, I did uh, 
in my hospital room two days after I had surgery. I did a radio show from my hospital bed because I just decided I was going to beat this thing and I wasn't going to let it stop me. And, and I think now looking back, maybe that's why the good Lord had Hank Haney find me and give me something to do uh, during this cancer battle because being in the golf has, has taken my mind off of it. If we're not for that, I'd probably be sitting here 24 hours a day worried, you know, about when it's coming back. But I, but I don't live that way. Well, it seems like those who aren't busy living are busy dying, and it seems like you're living your best life, Ron, and that's what I could see even before I knew anything about your cancer survivor story. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast today. I guess before we get out of here, do you have any more shout-outs or anything else you would like to promote or anyone else that you would like to give love to? Now is the time for the shout-outs. Well, I'd like I said, I'd probably leave someone out. Um, you know, when you ask me to pick a pro, I mean, I could probably tell you 50, but I don't want to leave anyone out. There's just so many great people out there. Um, and there's there are a few negative people, but that's what the block button's for. I'm not... Somebody I blocked last week, he went up my new account and said, why'd you block me? And I said, look, I don't even know you, but it was obvious you're just wanting to argue with somebody, and I just don't need negativity in my life right now. So uh, nothing personal, but um, I don't think I've ever been mean to anybody on Twitter uh, unless they were just blatantly rude, and then I just block them. I don't want to argue with them. Um, and most, I'd say, out of 27,000 followers, I don't think I have. 99.9% of them are positive and supportive. So I'm very blessed to have those people. I've got, uh, five, I guess, 5,000 on Facebook. And they're all golfers. I don't know any of them personally, not many of them. But they're all over the world. So uh, uh, they've been a great support during this this uh, journey I've had for the last year and a half. Well, Ron, thank you so much for your time. I definitely appreciate it. I'm proud to call you one of my Twitter friends, and I would agree. You are a great positive influence on there and a well of knowledge as far as golf goes. I definitely admire you. He's definitely worth a follow on there, folks. He's under Mintz Golf. That's capital M-I-N-T-Z Golf on Twitter. Ron Mintz, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I seriously appreciate it, brother, and I hope to see you out there. God bless you. All the best to you, sir. Doctor, same to you, and I, I wish you good luck. I know you're, you're growing your presence out there, and uh, um, I kept seeing all these tweets from, from Tucker, and I, I, I was curious. One day we'll have to talk about your background because you're an interesting fellow as well. So, uh, Well, maybe we'll do a follow-up and you can interview me. <laughs> Well, I, I thank you for that, and yeah, look forward to seeing you out there, my man, in the Twitter sphere. And until then, please go give Ron Mintz a follow. Go check him out, uh, and and be sure to look for him with all of his new information coming soon. Thanks a lot, Ron. Have a great day, man. Thank you, Tucker. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs>